from 88.9 Radio Milwaukee, I'm Jordan Lee. And I'm Piet Levy, music writer for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Every week we talk about music coming into Milwaukee and the music coming out of Milwaukee. This is Tapped In. It's Tapped In. Hello, Piet. How are you doing, my friend? Doing all right, Jordan. How are you doing? Very good. Uh, you know, just getting used to this new norm and uh, really missing live concert experiences. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just... I, I don't think I've gone this long without seeing a concert and that's, you know, that's affects so many people around the world. And it's been kind of sobering to see how this is impacting venues when there's not a really clear idea of when venues can open up. I saw Threadgills, a very famous venue in Austin that launched Janis Joplin's career. Uh, that's closing down permanently. The Troubadour is a big LA Times story about the Troubadour and how they're really kind of concerned about being able to survive. Um, and so what we've seen though is venues kind of coming together uh, including the Pap Cedar Group being a big part of this, um, organizing this organization, the uh, National Independent Venue Association, to try to make sure that these these venues can survive through the biggest crisis the live music industry has ever faced. Yeah, you've got an article up now called Milwaukee Music Venues Looking to Allies and Washington to Survive This Pandemic. And we thought we would bring on one of the leaders of this action. Gary Witt from the Pap Cedar Group is joining us on the podcast today. How are you, Gary? Well, I'm I'm hoping that 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 phrase will be uh, taken out of the English language uh, discussion soon because it's hard to really say how you are at this point in time because every day we're fighting kind of something new uh, in this business that that uh, that we live in. Uh, we're pleased to be able to be home and to be able to enjoy our families and uh, our animals, our dogs, but it's uh, we're faced with new problems every day. So, Gary, I thought maybe we could take a step back and you could just explain to our listeners exactly what Neva is. Well, Neva is amazing because Neva is made up of independent concert venues and promoters across America. And it was uh, the group was born really Easter weekend uh, in working with uh, myself and, and with uh, Dana Frank from uh, from First Avenue in, in Minneapolis. And then a group uh, that was called Independent Venue Week that was started by Reverend Moose. And Independent Venue Week began with 147, 148 different venues. Uh, we thought that based upon the struggles that we were having in trying to pursue the PPP and realizing how working together made it better or possible for us to succeed, that we realized that we had independent venues all around America who were in the same situation as us. And if we did work together on a bigger scale, we'd have a chance not only to help each other to succeed on the smaller things, but also to have a greater voice and be able to get funding, which we have thus far, and also be able to hire a lobbying firm in D.C. to make sure that our voice, just like every other industry's voice in America right now, is trying to be heard. And I think that we, we had a special voice that needed to be heard because you know, we also, in addition to hosting shows, we play a tremendous role in developing the soul and the identity of each of the cities that we live in. We provide an incredible economic uh, distribution throughout the markets that we survive in. If you look at Milwaukee alone, the Paps Theater Group kicks off about $180 million in additional revenue to the businesses around us. So we realized that we were the first ones to close and we're very likely to be the last ones to open up. And Neva is the result of us having to do something to struggle and to fight to survive. 
Absolutely. Now, with a thousand venues and promoters in this group, and including 31 here in Wisconsin, uh, the collective action is asking us right now to take action with the Save Our Stages campaign. This is a hashtag I've seen floating around a lot right now, Gary, and I, I found it pretty inspiring how easy it is for me to get my voice heard to senators and representatives in my community. Yeah, that's been, you know, I mean, obviously technology helps us tremendously. And even when you mentioned 1,000, it's over 1,300 now, and we're adding so many venues every single day. So it's quite easy in that, you know, we've got a, a really good website, and you can just uh, Google Save Our Stages or go to saveourstages.com, and you'll be able to find the website. And it's very, very simple to be able to send a message to your representative and look, let them know how much this means to you and what it means to our cities across America. It's incredibly important to remember that whether you're a Springsteen fan or a Lizzo fan, both of those artists started in small independent venues. And if you strip away the startup clubs, the independent venues that exist in America, you have to wonder to yourself where the next Springsteen or where the next Lizzo will come from. You know, we we don't, every part of America has somewhat battled kind of genericizing what you know, the form of what it does that makes it beautiful. If you look at what happened to radio when it became genericized in the 90s and you found you no longer had a hit in Cincinnati and a different hit in Atlanta or a different hit in Chicago or Milwaukee, all of a sudden music was programmed all around the country. Not, of course, at a place like 88.9, but in commercial radio, that's what's happened. And the net result of that is that you genericize music at a corporate level. And look, it didn't even work because the largest company that did that filed for bankruptcy. Well, stay tuned. Next on the podcast, we're going to dive a little deeper into this conversation, talk about the local economy and its effects on what this means, having all these venues closed. We also want to talk about the fix. This is not a quick fix. It's going to take a long time to turn around from this. And we're going to get into more with Gary Witt from the Paps Theater Group next on Tapped In. Stay tuned. Nonprofit Radio Milwaukee is brought to you by you. A membership contribution is your personal commitment to music and Milwaukee. Visit RadioMilwaukee.org to check out your donor benefits and the thank you gifts to show off your 88.9 pride. We are back. It's Tapped In. Every week we talk about the music that comes out of our community and the music coming into our community. Of course, with the COVID pandemic, we don't have any music coming into the community right now that's in a physical space. And while we've been excited to see some of the streams and unique ways that artists are creating, we do long for that connection. We long for that live music experience. And if you listen to this podcast, it's probably safe to say that you thrive on that live music experience. I know that's something that Piet and I share. And Piet, this article that you posted uh, not too long ago covering this topic specifically specifically has a quote right at the top. We're talking about life or death. Yeah, that quote is from Gary Witt, who is joining us, the CEO of the Pap Cedar Group. Um, Gary, thanks again for being part of this discussion. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Gary is the one who said that quote. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of staggering. I'm still, and I can't imagine what it's like for you, Gary, but, but two months into this, I'm still wrapping my head around how the live music industry was really in such a strong, strong state, stronger than probably it's ever been in terms of revenue. Um, Polestar, when they did their year-end in review, they described it as perfect. The market conditions were perfect. And the first quarter, in terms of those big tours, the, the, the profits were up, uh, or the sales were up, I'm sorry, by 10%, just in the first quarter. I mean, this was looking to be just a massive, massive year. And to go from one of the strongest years ever, uh, if not the strongest year ever, to this, to this you know, massive crisis, it's just... 
it's just hard to process. I, I would like to know though, Gary, like how are you, you know, processing this? How are you, um, you know, kind of just thinking through this and, and handling this um, in terms of what it's meant for the business to lose. I, mean, I think when we talked a few months ago, 128 shows were just kind of gone in a, like in a swoop basically. And how much is that going to kind of keep going and what's this meaning for the, for your business alone, much less the whole industry? Well, I, I do. Well, number one, we very much appreciate uh, the article that you wrote and the coverage that you gave to the issue because there obviously are many, many problems and many things that are impacted by the pandemic. Yeah. But I think that we all accept and, and realize the fact that live entertainment plays a very, very special role in providing a soul and an identity for a city. I think when you look at the work that happens in, in, in venues around America and the venues in Milwaukee, that rates with the same thing that we get from having a winning Bucks team and having the greatest player in the NBA or having a successful baseball team or, of course, having a successful Packers team. I think these are the kinds of things that actually make people feel good about their city and make them want to play a role in actually participating in the city. Look, what it means for us is that we were the first ones closed and we are so very likely to be the last ones opened. You know, we're a gathering place for people, especially in large numbers, and that's going to be extremely difficult uh, for us to do. We, we couldn't afford to survive without a unified voice, and that was the creation of Neva for us to be able to say that we needed to be able to say that, look, everything being shut down immediately has been like a, just a devastating blow to us. Everything that we have as far as ticket revenues or bar sales, everything that grows our business has stopped 100%. But revenues have stopped, but overhead hasn't. We're still paying rents. We're still paying insurances. We're still paying utilities. We're still paying health care for our employees. And we're still play, uh, paying for uh, our full-time staff that work for us here at the Pabst Theater Group. So I, I think it's been, in a way, it's been incredibly numbing to have what's happened happen for the first two weeks, like you said. But after that, we stopped playing defense and we began you know, looking for ways to play offense. And I think that creating Neva was our way of saying that we want to have some control of our future because we simply could not allow these historic venues like ours in Milwaukee or those around the country. I was just on the phone with the owners of... Uh, Preservation Hall in Tipitina is yesterday talking to a congressman about the, I mean, think about what we, how, what a blow this is for us in Milwaukee, but think about if you were, if you were New Orleans and in 2005, your entire world was crushed for two and a half years. Those clubs didn't open again. And now they're faced with losing their most impactful months of the year in March, April, and May when all the business happens in New Orleans before it gets too hot. And then they have to look forward to hurricane season where it's predicted three to four major hurricanes are coming their way. So when I think that we have it bad and what's happening for us, I, I know we do. And look, I also know that Shank Hall does and the Rave does and the Cactus Club does. Uh, and you know all the venues that we work with and deal with within Wisconsin as well as the rest of the states. Um, what's impressive to me is that we began this thing you know, back in, in Easter, and we've already got over 1,300 venues participating, and we're now in 50 states uh, in America. And we have a tremendous voice to be able to go along with uh, a fantastically successful and, and uh, strong lobbying group in Aiken Gump that is representing us. Yeah, I think those are all really incredible points. And when you look at Neva in Wisconsin, there's just 
uh, great organization. I think venues that maybe were considered competitors, like the Rave, are part of this as well, or Miramar Theater, Shank Hall, Cactus Club. Um, you know, they're all kind of part of this. The Cooperage, the the, the Wilson Center in Brookfield, um, all kind of signing on to this, and, and different promoters as well. Um, you know, a big part of this is this lobbying, and uh, there was this letter sent out uh, to leaders in Congress, uh, kind of with with different suggestions for for the venues. What's the status of that right now? I mean, that's going to be kind of the crucial thing that, that you guys need. And, and as we talked about in the story, this is unprecedented. You know, as an independent venue, as all these independent venues kind of are used to kind of working on their own, essentially, and now they're having to work together to try to get that um, government support. Um, talk about the, you know, how that's going right now. And, you know, as you mentioned, too, there's just the, the, the needs in this country are just so vast right now. Um, talk about what kind of challenge you think it might you might be facing, as you know. Sometimes you're stereotyped as you know the rock club, you know what I mean, um, or or the theater, and and you know, is there a, a big challenge in terms of, of convincing, um, you know, convincing Congress that yes, the the needs of the venues are great and they need to be accounted for mm. as well on top of everything else. Well, I think that you know partially, you know, you know, one of our goals in in working with a a firm uh, in D.C. like Aiken Gump is that we and our industry had no presence there previously. Sure, the giants like Live Nation had a presence and they've always had lobbyists there, but independent independent venues never had a voice. I think to your point before about you know competitors now working together. I mean, the amazing thing about this is that we now have not only venues in each city that are working together that previously, yes, were competing for the same types of shows. But you have venues all around America now that are working together in, in, in what we're doing with, with Neva. And I think that, that I think that, that speaks to the absolute life or death situation that we're in for many of these venues around the country. If there isn't funding federally uh, for this group, it's quite likely that 90% of the independent venues in America are going to go away. I look, Piet, when you when you first did the article in the journal, how many how many venues did you quote were, were there? Uh, oh, part of Neva? Yeah, it was, yeah. It was, it was, it was uh, just over a 1,000. I know that number has been increasing, and the media presence around this whole campaign has been increasing since I did the story. But yeah. But I mean, in, in Wisconsin, I think at the time, I don't, I don't remember. Maybe it was 23 venues or something from Wisconsin. There, there are 54 now, and that's just 54 that are on the, on the website. And, it's, and there are another 10 that haven't been added yet to the, uh, to the uh, website yet. So that it's growing every single day. You know, I, I think we need to have a unified voice, and I think we need to be able to do what our elected officials are asking us to do. I think the work that they did on the original CARES Act was heroic. It's been criticized by many, you know, because some companies got money that shouldn't have gotten money. But my personal mantra throughout this pandemic from the very beginning is that you cannot let, you cannot let perfect be the enemy of the good. You have to be able to make decisions and move forward. And when they made the original CARES Act, they put it together, they had no model necessarily to form it with, and they didn't really know how it would impact each of the industries out there. Now that it's out there, and now that it's been received in the public, and now that people can see how it impacts their business, we, just like every other industry, are speaking to uh, our elected officials, and we're letting them know what works for us and what doesn't work for us. For example, the you know the the ability to uh, you know to have seventy five percent of the PPP be used for payroll is extremely difficult because such a mm. high percentage of your part time what are called full time equivalents are now work uh, on unemployment 
and it's very difficult to be able to get them back. And it, it doesn't necessarily reflect or um, support the ability to be able to do things what, what we would consider to be uh, you know, actual overhead or specific overhead that it takes to run a business. In addition, the payback period for the PPP is two years. I think as as they put that together back in April of of this year, it was a good idea. But now we all realize that businesses like ours that are going to be shuttered due to the pandemic can't possibly pay it back in two years' time because in one year's time, it's likely that we could still be closed. We could just be opening somewhere in 2021, and it's not very likely that any of us will be profitable to be able to begin paying back loans at that time. And I'm thinking of it myself on a bigger scale because I think that I look at us and I see the number of employees we have in the business that we do, and, and we're a, a bigger small business. But if you look at the thousand, the thirteen hundred uh, members of Neva, there's a lot of small venues there. Again, I'm talking to Tipitinas yesterday. Like they have to be able to figure out a way to be able to use the PPP to help them because you don't want to lose an iconic club like Tipitinas. Uh, uh, in New Orleans. It's just Preservation Hall. You can't lose that. And at, at the same time, if I can be horrible for a second, you also don't want to end up having someone like Live Nation buy the Preservation Hall or Tipitinas, end up with a Tipitinas in Cedar Rapids and a Tipitinas in Eau Claire right. and a Tipitinas in, and I could, you know, in Mayfair Mall. Look, the history and, and the beauty of what's created in these venues is what makes these cities unique mm-hmm. and what makes these cities special. When you think about cities that you go to, I mean, quite often I think about those venues and those places that are so representative of what music and entertainment is all about. It's partially what the cities are all about uh, in general. Absolutely. Gary, as you're talking to other people in other cities and you're talking to other sides of this, of course, I mean, Neva is the strong collective of independent venues from all 50 states. But I'm also curious what the conversation's like on the other side. I mean, the other part of the industry is disrupted as well, right? The, the people who are, you know, representing the talent, the people who are, you know, bringing in the rigging. I mean, there's so many other bits and pieces of this puzzle. I, I'm just curious on how other collaborative efforts are looking through this lens as, uh, you know, you're right. The other... The people who hang the speakers are also in the same situation when it comes to the PPP. Yeah, it's. A, I think it's a very, it's a very difficult situation overall. I was, I had, uh, in the call with the representatives that I had the other day in New Orleans, um, I had, tra- I had trombone shorty on the phone with me, and look, you, you realize that uh, that artists fifteen years ago, you know, a percentage of their money, a high percentage of their money came from record sales. And those record sales are don't exist any longer. The deals that were cut by labels for streaming and for YouTube don't really pay artists enough money to be able to survive at all. No artist could could exist solely based upon streaming dollars. So touring has grown to represent ninety percent of artist revenue. It's one of the reasons why you've seen one of you know the major explosion in touring across America. That and the fact that because of people's love of being out together and actually being in a room with other people and enjoying something together, that's why you've also seen an explosion in entertainment in general. As I often say to people, we're odd because comedy and strange shows like podcasts and things like that represent about 30% of our business in Milwaukee overall. We do more comedy in Milwaukee than Chicago does 
and that city is is nine times larger than us. So I think that the growth of entertainment has changed, and I think that that's helped to change the entertainment landscape in general. And I think that if you look at the articles that have been written, I mean, everyone is impact CAA, uh, William Morris, uh, Paradigm, uh, all the major agencies have definitely been impacted by this because it hurts them on all levels. Look, there aren't any movies being made now either. I mean, all forms of entertainment have basically stopped. There are no television commercials being made for the most part. Everything is stopped in business. So you'd be hard-pressed not to find any industry uh, that wasn't impacted by the pandemic. And that's what's so staggering about this is that when you look at what the live music industry is facing, it is devastating and and it's unprecedented. But that's what the whole world is facing. And there's so many industries that are facing this kind of problem. Um, it's really stunning to see so many venues and promoters team up with, with Neva. And it, it really does signal, um, I think, to reporters, to the public, to uh, congressmen, um, the significance of this and the importance of trying to save these venues. But what's your take on, um, what's your assessment of how it's working so far in terms of um, how Congress is kind of processing this? Um, you know, the, the the needs of the live music industry are great, but the needs of the whole world are great, and they're going to have to kind of pick and choose. And and again, if, if venues are going to be closed until next year, is there even any amount of government support that can kind of prohibit venues, uh, prized, you know, treasures uh, like Tupatina's, like Pasita Group, from, from closing if you guys cannot have any real business, um, you know, certainly to what the levels were before, until 2021 or, or possibly even later? Well, you know, look, I I think, you know, the obvious thing is that, as you mentioned earlier, you know, we were in the midst of, you know, the industry itself and the touring business and entertainment industry was just in this unprecedented growth pattern where you had this, this fantastic opportunity to be able to see so many artists perform more than almost ever before. Uh, I mean, even Elton John, when he did his retirement tour in, in Milwaukee, I always remember, Piet, when you wrote that article about the tremendous review of his retirement show, they announced another retirement show like weeks later that, that was going to happen. So the touring, the, the ability to get out and see an artist is like, is so fantastic. Um, the first thing is, is that I have found from my conversations with uh, our senators and our representatives that they've been incredibly receptive. And and it's a little bit humbling to talk to people. I, I talked to a representative from Racine who, you know, I was, you know, I was was expecting to get a little bit of a cold shoulder thinking like, well, we're the entertainment industry and independent venues. And, but, you know, he had been to shows at Turner. He had been to shows at the PAPS. He had been to shows at the Riverside. He knew how it impacted his market. And he was very, very well aware of our business. And I would say that we're actually luckier than most and that we do something that's so highly visible. But when it comes down to it, you know, they're charged with the responsibility now of finding out well, what did work for you with the PPP and what didn't work. And they don't have a blank checkbook, but they want to be able to customize this so that it works. And obviously, everyone is sensitive to the idea that they might do something and that it might end up getting negative press from people getting large loans that shouldn't necessarily get those loans. And then places, for example, like Tipitina's going away and, and, and disappearing in America or, you know, or the Paps Theater, you know, or the Riverside or Turner not being what it is currently. Um, I think that's I think that they're very sensitive to the idea and they know that they're charged with the responsibility of finding a way to get us to that next place. Hmm. 
Well, as we have this discussion, uh, I do want to bring us back full circle to the action that people can take. Of course, you know, Piet and I have done everything we can to make sure that we shine a light on the efforts of what's going on to make sure that our music scene returns as strong as possible. The Save Our Stages campaign is something that's happening right now on the Neva website. And if you go to nevassoc.org, there's a take action tab that gives you information. I filled it out already this morning. It was easy to do. And I've been having these conversations with my coworkers and with the industry as far as what are we doing to advocate for what is important to us Piet, we started off the podcast with saying, you know, we can't really fathom uh, how we continue to do our gigs without the live music experience. These are the places that house those experiences. And we have been uh, so grateful that, Gary, you and and this organization are taking the lead to make sure that this is on the tips of the tongues of the those of us who love live music in our city. Well, thank you for that. And, uh, you know, I also want to say that uh, it's Look, I mean, I'm on the. I'm now on a uh, podcast with the two of you, so I want to take the chance to say <laughs> how important it's been for Milwaukee music that the two of you have not only individually but collectively used your voices to make sure that Milwaukee artists are able to be seen and heard on a greater level. I think that it's been so uh, important to the growth of our city and to the industry in our city that I think we all owe you both a debt of gratitude that. The times where, uh, you know, where Piet has done his tremendous features, he's been very consistent in talking about the activity of these Milwaukee artists. And of course, the times that the same where in Milwaukee, unlike every other city in America, uh, 88.9 doesn't segregate local artists to Sunday night from eight o'clock until <laughs> 8.22. You guys play them right next to, I mean, you're playing a spoon song. And then, you know, after that, you're going to be playing you know, a Milwaukee artist song. So I, I want to say, you know, what we do doesn't exist without you guys. And we certainly are very appreciative of the work that you do to be able to give uh, Milwaukee musicians a chance to succeed. Because look, we need to survive this because we're not done yet. And especially in Milwaukee, mm. we're not done yet. We're not mm-hmm. done because we're an unmade and unfinished city. And we have a lot of work left to do. And we're going to need both of your voices, not only to help to continue to be able to promote and bring people to come downtown and see live music, but also to continue to build the the, uh, the uh, Milwaukee entertainment scene, which so desperately needs both of you. So thank you for that. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. I mean, we're, we're both really passionate. We, we try to wear, at least, yeah, we, we, we wear our heart on our sleeves. We, we definitely uh, are doing this uh, because it, it's this is the greatest little city in America. I, I couldn't imagine another place I would be doing this work. Um, it means a lot. And, and it's this ecosystem of support that is going to help us get through this. So thank you so much. And, and Piet, you know, um, I, I, I'm so... I'm so happy that we are continuing to make uh, valid and, and important content at this time uh, to be transparent with everybody here. There were definitely conversations around, well, if this is a podcast about live music in Milwaukee, what are we talking about right now? <laughs> and we've had some of our best episodes in the history of the podcast these last few weeks here. So it's been our pleasure to do the work. And we remind you that the work is available anywhere you listen to podcasts, whether you're on Stitcher, NPR, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever you use to get your podcast tapped in is there. This podcast is produced by Kenny Perez and her handcrafted sonic inspiration comes from the License Lab and we can't do it without your support. We thank you for what you do. Those of you who support, those of you who subscribe, those of you who purchase, 
this. You are the ones that keep this on and we can't do it without you. Gary, again, a big special thanks to you for joining us and being our special guest today on Tapped In. Thank you guys very much. And don't forget to go to saveourstages.com because it's incredibly easy just to click on adding your name, email address, and your zip code, and you can send a great letter to your representatives to make sure they know how important live entertainment is to you. Thank you both. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Gary. We'll see you next time for Tapped In.